Day 7 of Totus Tuus' Novena to Mary Immaculate, Star of Hope With quotes from Pope Benedict XVI's encyclical letter, Space Salvi, on Christian Hope. All serious and upright human conduct is hope in action. This is so, first of all, in the sense that we thereby strive to realize our lesser and greater hopes, to complete this or that task which is important for our onward journey, or we work towards a brighter and more humane world so as to open doors into the future. Yet our daily efforts in pursuing our own lives and in working for the world's future either tire us or turn into fanaticism unless we are enlightened by the radiance of the great hope that cannot be destroyed even by small-scale failures or by a breakdown in matters of historic importance. If we cannot hope for more than is effectively attainable at any given time, or more than is promised by political or economic authorities, our lives will soon be without hope. It is important to know that I can always continue to hope, even if, in my own life, or the historical period in which I am living, there seems to be nothing left to hope for. Only the great certitude of hope that my own life and history in general, despite all failures, are held firm by the indestructible power of love, and that this gives them their meaning and importance. Only this kind of hope can then give the courage to act and to persevere. Certainly, we cannot build the kingdom of God by our own efforts. What we build will always be the kingdom of man, with all the limitations proper to our human nature. The kingdom of God is a gift, and precisely because of this, it is great and beautiful, and constitutes the response to our hope. And we cannot, to use the classical expression, merit heaven through our works. Heaven is always more than we could merit, just as being loved is never something merited, but always a gift. However, even when we are fully aware that heaven far exceeds what we can merit, it will always be true that our behavior is not indifferent before God and therefore is not indifferent for the unfolding of history. We can open ourselves and the world and allow God to enter. We can open ourselves to truth, to love, to what is good. This is what the saints did, those who, as God's fellow workers, contributed to the world's salvation. We can free our life and the world from the poisons and contaminations that could destroy the present and the future. We can uncover the sources of creation and keep them unsullied. And in this way, we can make a right use of creation, which comes to us as a gift, according to its intrinsic requirements and ultimate purpose. This makes sense even if outwardly we achieve nothing or seem powerless in the face of overwhelming hostile forces. So on the one hand, our actions engender hope for us and for others. 
but at the same time, it is the great hope based upon God's promises that gives us courage and directs our action in good times and bad. Like action, suffering is a part of our human existence. Suffering stems partly from our finitude and partly from the mass of sin which has accumulated over the course of history and continues to grow unabated today. Certainly, we must do whatever we can to reduce suffering, to avoid as far as possible the suffering of the innocent, to soothe pain, to give assistance in overcoming mental suffering. These are obligations both in justice and in love, and they are included among the fundamental requirements of the Christian life and every truly human life. Great progress has been made in the battle against physical pain, yet the sufferings of the innocent and mental suffering have, if anything, increased in recent decades. Indeed, we must do all we can to overcome suffering, but to banish it from the world altogether is not in our power. This is simply because we are unable to shake off our finitude and because none of us is capable of eliminating the power of evil, of sin, which, as we plainly see, is a constant source of suffering. Only God is able to do this. Only a God who personally enters history by making himself man and suffering within history. We know that this God exists, and hence that this power to take away the sin of the world is present in the world. Through faith in the existence of this power, hope for the world's healing has emerged in history. It is, however, hope, not yet fulfilment. Hope that gives us the courage to place ourselves on the side of good even in seemingly hopeless situations, aware that, as far as the external course of history is concerned, the power of sin will continue to be a terrible presence. Let us return to our topic. We can try to limit suffering, to fight against it, but we cannot eliminate it. It is when we attempt to avoid suffering by withdrawing from anything that might involve hurt, when we try to spare ourselves the effort and pain of pursuing truth, love and goodness, that we drift into a life of emptiness, in which there may be almost no pain, but the dark sensation of meaningless and abandonment is all the greater. It is not by sidestepping or fleeing from suffering that we are healed, but rather by our capacity for accepting it, maturing through it, and finding meaning through union with Christ who suffered with infinite love. Christ descended into hell and is therefore close to those cast into it, transforming their darkness into light. Suffering and torment is still terrible and well-nigh unbearable. Yet the star of hope has risen. The anchor of the heart reaches the very throne of God. Instead of evil being unleashed within man, the light shines victorious. Suffering, without ceasing to be suffering, becomes, despite everything, 
a hymn of praise. The true measure of humanity is essentially determined in relationship to suffering and to the sufferer. This holds true both for the individual and for society. A society unable to accept its suffering members and incapable of helping to share their suffering and to bear it inwardly through compassion is a cruel and inhuman society. Yet society cannot accept its suffering members and support them in their trials unless individuals are capable of doing so themselves. Moreover, the individual cannot accept another's suffering unless he personally is able to find meaning in suffering, a path of purification and growth in maturity, a journey of hope. Indeed, to accept the other who suffers means that I take up his suffering in such a way that it becomes mine also. Because it has now become a shared suffering, though, in which another person is present, this suffering is penetrated by the light of love. The Latin word, consolatio, consolation, expresses this beautifully. It suggests being with the other in his solitude, so that it ceases to be solitude. Furthermore, the capacity to accept suffering for the sake of goodness, truth and justice is an essential criterion of humanity. Because if my own well-being and safety are ultimately more important than truth and justice, then the power of the stronger prevails. Then violence and untruth reign supreme. Truth and justice must stand above my comfort and physical well-being or else my life itself becomes a lie. In the end, even the yes to love is a source of suffering, because love always requires expropriations of my I, in which I allow myself to be pruned and wounded. Love simply cannot exist without this painful renunciation of myself, for otherwise it becomes pure selfishness, and thereby ceases to be love. To suffer with the other and for others. To suffer for the sake of truth and justice. To suffer out of love and in order to become a person who truly loves. These are the fundamental elements of humanity and to abandon them would destroy man himself. Yet once again the question arises, are we capable of this? Is the other important enough to warrant my becoming, on his account, a person who suffers? Does truth matter to me enough to make suffering worthwhile? Is the promise of love so great that it justifies the gift of myself? In the history of humanity, it was the Christian faith that had the particular merit of bringing forth within man a new and deeper capacity for these kinds of suffering that are decisive for his humanity. The Christian faith has shown us that truth, justice and love are not simply ideals, but enormously weighty realities. It has shown us that God, truth and love in person, 
desired to suffer for us and with us. Bernard of Clairvaux coined the marvellous expression, Impassibilis est Deus, sed non incompassibilis. God cannot suffer, but he can suffer with. Man is worth so much to God that he himself became man in order to suffer with man in an utterly real way, in flesh and blood, as is revealed to us in the account of Jesus' passion. Hence, in all human suffering, we are joined by one who experiences and carries that suffering with us. Hence, consolatio is present in all suffering, the consolation of God's compassionate love. And so the star of hope rises. Certainly, in our many different sufferings and trials, we always need the lesser and greater hopes too. A kind visit, the healing of internal and external wounds, a favourable resolution of a crisis, and so on. In our lesser trials, these kinds of hope may even be sufficient. But in truly great trials, where I must make a definitive decision to place the truth before my own welfare, career and possessions. I need the certitude of that true great hope of which we have spoken here. For this too we need witnesses, martyrs, who have given themselves totally so as to show us the way, day after day. We need them if we are to prefer goodness to comfort, even in the little choices we face each day, knowing that this is how we live life to the full. Let us say it once again. The capacity to suffer for the sake of the truth is the measure of humanity. Yet this capacity to suffer depends on the type and extent of the hope that we bear within us and build upon the saints were able to make the great journey of human existence in the way that Christ had done before them, because they were brimming with great hope. I would like to add here another brief comment with some relevance for everyday living. There used to be a form of devotion, perhaps less practiced today but quite widespread not long ago, that included the idea of offering up the minor daily hardships that continually strike at us like irritating jabs, thereby giving them a meaning. Of course, there were some exaggerations and perhaps unhealthy applications of this devotion, but we need to ask ourselves whether there may not after all have been something essential and helpful contained within it. What does it mean to offer something up? Those who did so were convinced that they could insert these little annoyances into Christ's great compassion, so that they somehow became part of the treasury of compassion, so greatly needed by the human race. In this way, even the small inconveniences of daily life could acquire meaning and contribute to the economy of good and of human love. Maybe we should consider whether it might be judicious to revive this practice ourselves. Let us pray.
Holy Mary, Mother of God, our Mother, teach us to believe, to hope, to love with you. Show us the way to Jesus' kingdom. Star of the sea, shine upon us and guide us on our way. Prayer of Pope Benedict XVI on the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary, 2008. Dear brothers and sisters, about three months ago I had the joy of going on pilgrimage to Lourdes on the occasion of the 150th anniversary of the historical apparitions of the Virgin Mary to St. Bernadette. The celebration of this unique anniversary ends precisely today on the solemnity of the Immaculate Conception, because in showing herself to Bernadette for the last time in the grotto of Massabielle, the beautiful lady, as Bernadette called her, revealed her name, saying, I am the Immaculate Conception. She said this in the local dialect, and the little visionary related the phrase to her unknown and incomprehensible to her parish priest. Immaculate Conception We too repeat that mysterious name with feeling here at the foot of this monument in the heart of Rome. And countless brothers and sisters of ours are doing the same in thousands of other places in the world, at shrines and in chapels as well as in Christian homes. Today, wherever a Catholic community exists, our Lady is venerated in it with this stupendous and marvelous name, the Immaculate Conception. Of course, the conviction that Mary's conception was immaculate had already existed for centuries before the apparitions in Lourdes, but which came as a heavenly seal after my venerable predecessor, Blessed Pius IX, defined the dogma on the 8th of December, 1854. On today's feast, so dear to Christian people, this expression rises from hearts and is pronounced by lips as our Heavenly Mother's name. Just as a child raises his eyes to his mother's face and on seeing her smile forgets every fear and every pain, so do we, turning our eyes to Mary, recognize in her God's smile, the immaculate reflection of divine light, in her we find new hope, even in the midst of the problems and tragedies of the world. It is a tradition that the Pope joins with the homage of the city, bringing Mary a basket of roses. These flowers express our love and devotion. The love and devotion of the Pope, of the Church of Rome, and of the inhabitants of the city who feel they are spiritual children of the Virgin Mary. Roses, symbolically, can express everything beautiful and good that we have done during the year, because at this traditional encounter we all desire to offer everything to our Mother, convinced that we could not have done anything without her protection and without the graces that daily she obtains for us from God. Yet. 
As the saying goes, there is no rose without a thorn. And on the stems of these magnificent white roses too, there is no lack of thorns that represent for us difficulty and suffering, the troubles that have marked and still mark people's lives and the life of our community. Joys are presented to our mother, but anxieties are also entrusted to her, since the faithful are confident that they will find comfort and support in her to go forward so as not to be disheartened. O Immaculate Virgin, at this moment I would especially like to entrust to you the little ones of our city, the children first of all, and above all those who are seriously ill, children who are disabled, and those who are suffering the consequences of oppressive family situations. Watch over them and grant that they may feel the warmth of God's love in the affection and help of those who are beside them. To you, O Mary, I entrust the lonely elderly, the sick, immigrants who find it hard to adjust, families that find it difficult to make ends meet, and people who cannot find employment or who have lost a job indispensable for their survival. Teach us, Mary, to show solidarity with those in difficulty, to fill the ever-increasing social gaps. Help us to foster a more lively sense of the common good, of respect for public property, and spur us to view the city and more than ever our city of Rome as the patrimony of all, making each one of us do our part to build a more just and supportive society with awareness and commitment. O Immaculate Mother, who are a sign of certain hope and comfort to everyone, help us let ourselves be attracted by your Immaculate Purity. Your beauty, Tota Pulchra, as we sing today, assures us that the victory of love is possible. Indeed, that it is certain. It assures us that grace is stronger than sin and that redemption from any form of slavery is therefore possible. Yes, O Mary, help us to believe with greater trust in good, to wager on giving freely, on service, on non-violence, on the power of the truth. Encourage us to be alert, not to give in to the temptation of easy evasions, to face reality and its problems with courage and responsibility. This is what you did, O young woman, called to stake everything on the word of the Lord. May you be a loving mother for our young people, so that they may have the courage to be watchmen of the dawn and give this virtue to all Christians so that they may be the heart of the world in this difficult period of history. Virgin Immaculate, Mother of God and our Mother, Salus Populi Romani, pray for us.
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.